Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to talk about a, a big topic that you you hear about all the time, really. But but maybe we can sort of dig down and, and give some tools to uh, to exploring this in a, in, a, in a practical way. Uh, it's just about it's just about uh, fulfilling our potential in life. So not 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 a small topic, a very very big topic, um, and it's sort of. That phrase is, is simultaneously inspiring and frighteningly vague and, and, and you know, it's sort of like we know that there's truth to it, that, that we can always be doing more than whatever we're doing, but at the same time it's sort of like, well, how do you get there and where is there and, and all of the rest. So, so we'll just try to discuss some ideas um, that, that maybe give us a, a, a firmer hold on on the idea of, of not just knowing that we can do more, but how we can get to that place of actually doing more. Um, so, so with that in mind, I, I heard something w what I thought was very, very, very deep. Um, the the Parsha that we r read on Shabbos begins with, when you go out to war against your enemies. And that, that phrase is interpreted um, in, in multiple different ways by, by, by the sages. And I saw in the name of the, the Pshiska Rebbe that, that really in a time when we're not fighting these type of wars like they were in the Torah, that that surface definition is no longer the working definition. That you have to go actually deeper to get the surface definition. So that, so that, the, that the basic shot now is about ba battling your own Yitzhahara. In other words, it's not about going out to war and actually fighting with weapons and guns and things like that, but it's about actually struggling with your own negative inclinations, those things that try to pull you down in life. And, and then I heard an even deeper shot, a, a deeper explanation for what it means when you go out to war against your enemies. And that this was from the Nitziva Shalom, the Sloan Rebbe. And he said that what it's referring to is actually, you know, mystically speaking, and, and the, the sages give us pieces of imagery, but we can't take the imagery too literally. It's just something to wrap our minds around. That the Kisa Kavid, the throne of glory, which is, you know, a very exalted high place in heaven, underneath the throne of glory is, is a region in heaven where the souls of the Jewish people come from. And the Nitziva Shalom says that when you go out to war, that phrase is actually referring to when a soul goes from heaven down into this world, which actually means that this entire life is one long battle, one long war. And that's not to say that this world isn't beautiful, and that's not to say that life isn't beautiful. But anyone who takes life seriously knows that it's an ongoing battle. That's just the, the reality of it. And if we're not in touch with that, then probably something's wrong. It means perhaps that we, we're not in touch with the effort that we need to be making. But if we're constantly in touch with the effort that we need to be making, then we understand that, that life is in fact a battle. It is. It just is. Um, and so now, let's use that as a jumping off point to, to go back to what I had mentioned initially, which is this idea of achieving our own potential. 
Because probably the greatest battle is, is that battle. Becoming the, the best version of you. And, and I'll tell you a story, I'm sure you all know it, but it's a classic story, you can't, you can't not tell it. Which is one of the, the great Hasidic masters, Reb Zusha, uh, who is phenomenally humble, was, was uh, known for being so humble, but he was also a tremendous Torah scholar. Um, he said very famously, after 120, when I leave this world and I stand before the, the heavenly court, I'm not afraid that they're going to say to me, Zusha, why weren't you Moshe? Right? Why didn't you achieve the level of Moshe Rabbeinu? I'm not afraid of that. What I'm terrified of is that they're going to say to me, Zusha, why weren't you Zusha? Right? Why, why, why weren't you yourself? You know? Meaning to say the best version of yourself. Why didn't you achieve being the best version of yourself? You know, it reminds me of another story, and I wish I remembered the name of the Rebbe. I heard it from Reb Shlomo. He said that there was a Rebbe who was learning in the middle of the night that was his Seder, and he was in the shul, and he was just there with his gabai, with his, with, his, uh, with his helper. And all of a sudden, it became clear to the Rebbe that all the gates of heaven were open. And he told his gabai, go, go, go to the town, wake everybody up, go run. Tell them, tell them to come to me right now, to, to, that they should bring their prayers to me right now, because what, what, the, all the gates are open right now. All the blessings can come down right now. And the Rebbe waited, and he waited, and nobody came. And the next day he saw his Gabbai, and he said, What happened? And the Gabbai said, Rebbe, I, I banged on the windows, I knocked on the doors, no one would get, no one would wake up. And then the Rebbe looked at him and he said, yeah, but why didn't you come? So, if someone wants to, if someone is serious about achieving their own potential, if you are serious about wanting to achieve your own potential, you have to show up. It's, 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 it's something that, um, you know, you can't be half asleep while fighting a war. This is, this is something that if, if someone actually wants something, they have to actively, actively want it, and they can't be doing it because someone else is telling them you have to do it. It has to be coming from them. You know, one of the amazing experiences that I had, and I, I personally experienced this firsthand with, with Reb Shlomo Karlovach, the way that he... The way that he reached out to other Jews and he changed so many Jews' life, including my own, he brought me to, to Torah observance, was he never asked anything of anyone. It was an amazing thing. He never checked in on your observance level or, you know, your progress, quote-unquote. He never, ever, ever did. He went all around the world inspiring people and he left it to you to do, to, to do it. Because it's only really real if you're the one who's doing it. Of course, you should know, I should also say, that we have a, a Talmudic axiom, which is shalom lishma bo lishma, which means if you do something not for the sake of heaven, you will in time come to do that thing for the sake of heaven. In other words, sometimes, sometimes, a little outside coercion doesn't hurt. 
And I know I experienced that in my life as well. Not, not from Reb Shlomo, but from other rabbis who would, you know, sort of like bang on the table and yell and things like that. And you know something? I, I wasn't crazy about it in the moment, but in retrospect, I absolutely needed it. I, I needed it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing. You know, I guess there's a time for everything. But the main point that I'm trying to say is that that if a person really wants something, they, they have to be the primary driving force. It can't come from people telling you, this is really the best thing for you. You know, you, you've got to want it. Okay. So that's in terms of achieving your own potential. But let's go, let's go further and deeper with this idea. So, so there's a beautiful, there's a beautiful, um, part of the Torah, you, 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 see this, you see this only a few times in the whole Torah, which is where someone is called by their name twice. So, so you have uh, the calling of Abraham, Abraham, right? You have, not by, not by Yitzchak, by the way. And I heard an explanation that by Yitzchak, he was always on the level of Yitzchak, Yitzchak. That's why he, you don't see him called Yitzchak, Yitzchak. Anyway, that's an aside. But, but you don't see it by Yitzchak, but Yaakov, you see it also. You see Yaakov, Yaakov. So Avram, Avram, Yaakov, Yaakov. You have Moshe, Moshe. Later on in Tanakh, you have Shmuel, Shmuel. As far as I know, that's it. Maybe, maybe there's one more, I don't know. But it, it's very, very rare that someone's name is repeated right after each other in the Torah. Very rare. And it's, it's always coming at a very exalted, very, very high spiritual moment for that person. So the, ex- the explanation that I heard, and I forgot again the name of the Rebbe, um, but, but it made such a lasting impression on me regarding Abraham. Why does it, what was going on when it says Abraham, Abraham? If you, if you look in the, in the portion, it was during the binding of Yitzchak, right? The Akedis Yitzchak. And this we know was the greatest test that any individual has ever been given in the history of the world. Was, was Avram Avinu binding his own son and ready to, to give his own son. It was an amazing, amazing moment, like once in history. So, so Avram raises the knife. He's about to do this amazing act. And all of a sudden, an, a, a voice from heaven calls out. It's an angel from heaven. And the angel says, Avraham, Avraham. You know, you don't have to do this. Now I know that you're a God-fearing man. So the commentary that I heard was, what does it mean? What The angel is saying, now I know. The angel is talking. Now I know you're a God-fearing man. What do, how? What, what does that mean? So, so it says in Pirkei Avos, and this will sound very, very mystical, but we'll try to give a very practical explanation to it in a moment. It says in Pirkei Avos that when you do a mitzvah, you create an angel. And if you do something negative, you create something from the other side. And again, the idea of like, I'm going through life, I'm creating angels and who knows what else, like this sounds like very way out, like, you know, make this real for me. So, so on a real level, I, the best example that I can give is that when you hug someone who you feel very close to. You feel something coming out of you. You feel an energy coming out of you. This is 
this is just known. Everyone, I think, has experienced this. So you see that, that there's a life force that actually comes out of us when we do something special. And that life force actually has an integrity to it. It actually has a shape to it. And it's, it, it actually lasts. And we call that, you've made an angel. And, and it makes sense, because you know something has left you when you do an action. You, you know that that's true, just intuitively. You know that that's true. And again, if you start yelling and screaming at someone, your face gets hot, and you know that energy is also leaving you. That's a darker energy. But that energy also goes into the world and also takes a shape. So again, these things which sound very mystical when you hear them, you know, at first blush, if you think about them a little bit more, you go, oh, well, you know, that actually, that actually makes some sense. So, so this angel, when, when, when Abraham Avinu did this enormous, incredible act of, of service to God, right? Gave up everything, everything for God. At that, at that moment, he created the most massive angel that you could imagine. And the angel looked at himself and was marveling at his own magnitude. And the angel looked at himself and said, Now I see that you're a God-fearing person. Because he looked at himself and his enormity and he realized how great Abraham was. That Abraham was able to form this cosmic force in the world. So, so that's why it says Abraham, Abraham at that moment. Because, you see, all of us have two aspects to ourselves, And the way I heard Reb Shlomo say it, there's the you above and the you below. And Reb Shlomo said something very, very deep. He said, who are the dead people in this world? See, because... You know, when you, when you understand it from a Torah context, dead, you can be part of the walking dead. Right? There's, 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 we don't call them the walking dead, but they are the walking dead. In other words, they're people who are completely disconnected from reality, who are just walking around, you know? Not in touch with the fact that they have a purpose. Not in touch with the fact that the world has a purpose. Right? And this is for all of us, for all people. Right? We're all God's children. Everyone has a purpose, and the whole world has a purpose. So Reb Shlomo said that people who are, if you are disconnected from your you above, these are the dead people in the world. Isn't that interesting? So in other words, in order to qualify for being among the living, you have to be connected to your higher self. Which means that, I guess just to try to understand it, it means that you understand not only is there a purpose to this world, but that you yourself have a higher purpose. See, if you're just walking around saying, yeah, the world's going somewhere, I understand it's not so random, and everyone, yeah, I get it, you know, it's going. But what about me? I'm alone for the ride. You're not alone for the ride. <laughs> if you were alone for the ride, you wouldn't be here. Every single person is a puzzle piece in this massive, amazing thing. So every single person has to figure out what their purpose is. Right? So that's being connected to the higher you. That's what it means. You're connected to your higher you. So, so at this moment, Avraham, Avraham, at this moment, the Avraham below becomes connected to the Avraham above. Do you understand? That's Avraham, Avraham. Right? That's why the, the amazing thing is like they're on the same line, right? 
Like the one, the Avraham below all of a sudden gets lifted up to the Avraham above and they're on the same line. It's an, uh, an amazing, an amazing moment. So this is a moment of, of, of reaching potential. That's sort of like a blueprint for reaching your potential that we see in the Torah. So I, I was talking with Ben Sion this morning and he said something very beautiful. He said, you know something? Maybe it's not, maybe it's not a maybe you're lucky if in your whole life you reach one of these moments. Because we said this, this Abraham, Abraham, Yaakov, Yaakov, Moshe, Moshe, Shmuel, Shmuel, it's very, very rare. So maybe a person would say to themselves, Am I, will I ever get to that place? Probably not, right? Probably not. I mean, it only, you only see it a few times in the Torah. What Benson was saying, and I, I identified with it, and I'll tell you why in a moment, was he said, well, maybe, maybe a few times in your life, everyone does. Or maybe even, bless you, maybe even once, maybe even once a day you do. Maybe. Maybe you have your own Abraham, Abraham moment in the day. Right? Could be. Could be. So I had an Abraham, Abraham moment in my life. So I just want to tell you about that. You know? Um, and and I want to use some imagery that will help you maybe, maybe, maybe make this more practical because I, I want this to be not just an explanation of this idea of achieving your potential, but, but how we can actually do it. So the Talmud says that the ideal person, who is the realized person? It's someone whose insides and outsides match. Right? Like, in other words, you know, back, back in the day, I remember there was a phrase uh, floating around that became popular for a while, which is someone who was a cardiac Jew, which means they were a Jew at heart. Their actions, not so much, but in my heart, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good guy, right? Okay, so, so that's, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> what we're talking about is, is someone whose actions mirror their essence. So that there's that clarity, there's that harmony there. That, that's, that's what we're going for. And that's, that's another way of phrasing this Abraham, Abraham thing. Interestingly, the way the sages learned that out is that the, the golden ark that held the luchos, it was gold on the inside and gold on the outside. So that's what you want to be. You want to be gold on the inside and gold on the outside, right? That the inside and the outside should match. Okay, so, you know, without going into the whole long story, um, actually, if you're interested in hearing it, um, you can go on YouTube. There's a presentation of it. I did a a speech in South Africa. They have a, a kind of a festival of Torah learning from speakers from around the world uh, called Sinai Indaba. Indaba means is Swahili for a gathering. So if you go on YouTube and you write in uh, my name and Sinai Indaba, you can see a video of this story, but I'm going to really shorthand it to nothing because I just want to get to the end of it. Which is which is basically they were going to fire me from work and they told me I'd never work in television again and whatever it is, I, I, I just, I had to keep Shabbos, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, and I knew in my heart nothing bad was going to happen from keeping Shabbos, even, even if I had to switch fields. I knew nothing bad was going to happen from keeping Shabbos. So, so anyway, the point is, is that I told them I'm not going to work. And after they threatened to fire me, they were like, all right, you can keep your job. <laughs> so anyway, that's, 
that story takes about an hour to tell correctly, but anyway, <laughs> the, the point is, the point is the after effect. Because I felt something afterwards, which is, and I would describe it like this, and it was, it was one of the best feelings of my entire life, which is, I don't know if you, if you guys remember this, I'm sure everyone's experienced this, maybe not since junior high school or something like this, but looking into a microscope and focusing the microscope on one of those cells. And you turn the knob and you turn the knob and, and then you go, now it's in focus. And then you turn it one more time and you go, ah, now it's in focus. <laughs> and there's that sharpness and it feels so good. And then sometimes you even turn it one more time and you go, ah, now it's really in focus. And you know that feeling. It's like a fantastic feeling. And it, you know what that feeling is? What I want to liken that feeling is that that's the moment when your insides and your outsides are together. Where you're actually doing what your heart and what your soul wants to be doing. And all of a sudden you've made it real in this world. Remember, Kabbalistically speaking, there's a name for this world that we live in. It's called Olamasiya, which means the world of action. That's, that's a very, it's very important to know that if you want to understand Torah and Judaism. Because Judaism is, very, is a very bottom line religion. It's sort of like, okay, you mean well, I love you back, but what did you do? Let's talk about what you did. Let's talk about what you didn't do. Let's, come on, let's, let's make an account for real. Okay? So that's, that's Olamasiya. That means the world of action. And if you look, the, the, the Torah is filled with action commands, right? Do this, don't do that. So, and it doesn't mean that. It also says someplace else in the Torah, God wants your heart. So you say, well, maybe God just wants my good intention. He doesn't want my action. No, that's what we're saying right now. He wants your full heart into your action. That those two things are working together. And that's what it means, I would like to suggest to fulfill your potential. When, you're, when, you're, when that desire inside of you is becoming manifest in your actions, you're doing it at that moment. You're absolutely doing it. And, and when you put it in those terms, at least to my ear, when you hear it in those terms, you can say, hey, you know what? I could have an Abraham, Abraham moment. Maybe, maybe once a day. Maybe, maybe, maybe a few times a day. I don't know. Certainly multiple times in my life. But, but, you, but to do it at, on that level, the Abraham, Abraham level, I'm telling you, there has to be, there has to be a, an extra oomph and an extra life force invest in it. And, and let me explain what I'm saying. There's something, there's a, there's a mita, a, a character attribute in Torah which is very highly prized in Torah, which is called Zrizuskeit. That means that you hurry to do something. Right? Like, like one of the amazing things is, here we have the most difficult test, again going back to the Akeda with the Avraham Avraham moment, you have the most difficult test ever given to any human in the history of the world, and it says, Avraham woke up early that morning in order to do it. You know, most people, most people would be like, you know, let me have a second cup of coffee. <laughs> you 
you know what might be good with this? Some cereal. You know what? I'm out of cereal. Let me drive to Ralph's, pick up some cereal, think about it a little bit more. Maybe I'll stare at my cell phone for a while. <laughs> I'll get there. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Maybe not today. Right? So, so this is... This is once you resolve, and I'm not talking about being impetuous right now. I'm not talking about being impetuous. Impetuous means that you're acting without thinking about it. You have to, you have to think about it. But once you've made your decision, bang, you do it. Because that space between deciding that you're going to do it and not doing it is a very shadowy negative area. It's, 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 it's the negative zone. It's the negative zone. And by the way, that's when we talk about chametz on Pesach, that's that leavening where the dough rises and becomes like something if you eat it at that time during the year, your soul gets cut off from heaven. That's what we're talking about. The time between when you decide to do something and waiting to actually do it and again, I'm not talking about impetuousness. Like, okay, I've come up with a decision, I've got to do it right now. Why did I do that? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you, you talk with whoever it is you need to talk with about it. You decide, yes, this is the proper path. And then bang, you do it. That's, that's called Zrizeskite. And there is almost a level, I heard Reb Shlomo say this, these are his words. There's almost a level of prophecy when you do that. When you, not when you hear it, not when you get the idea, when you perform the action quickly. That, that's what he likened unto a level of prophecy. Where you, realize, where you realize that decision quickly. There's something very, very holy about it. And again, I'll just give you an, an example. Just so that you understand, just a little more practical. Imagine I say I'm going to write a check. I'm going to write, I, you know what, my friend is, needs some money and I'm going to write him a check, right? So, so then you wait three weeks or a month to write the check, right? And then you say, well, I wrote the check. I said I was going to write the check, here's the check. But how much time lapsed in between and what could that person, let's say that person needed to pay the rent or let's say that person needed to buy groceries. How much different would it have been if that person got the check right away as opposed to a month later? So you say, objectively speaking, I'll show you the check. You don't think I wrote the check? Here's a photocopy of the check. No, 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 we know you wrote the check. But now we're getting into different spiritual realms right now. Now we're getting to the idea of the difference, and I'm, showing, I'm trying to show you in a practical way, the difference between doing something quickly or slowly can actually have in terms of the world. Now you see, I'm giving you this as an example where you see it can uh, practically affect another person. But what I'm trying to show you is that spiritually speaking, it's a different action. That $500 check or $1,000 check or million dollar check or $18 check, whatever the check is for, that check immediately has a different light into the world. You know why? Can I tell you why? Because it's harder to do. It's harder to do it right away. Because your Yetzirah clamps down on you and goes, what's in the refrigerator? I think there's some ice cream left. I, I can remember I left myself a spoonful because 
I didn't want to be mean to myself, <laughs> you know. Right? Beware that moment. Beware that moment. If you want to get to this place that I'm talking about, the Abraham Abraham moment, beware that moment. And I'm going to give you a bit of practical advice how to be able to do it, okay? And this might sound strange, but this is something I've done in my own life over the last few years, and it's had a very big effect on my life. Okay. And um, there's a million examples of this, and it's going to sound very mundane, but that's the point, okay? Imagine you're walking in the kitchen, or anywhere, let's say in the kitchen, and you see there's a little piece of paper on the ground. And you notice it, and it's sort of like, you say, oh, you know, you, this all flashes in your mind in a nanosecond. You go, oh, that needs to be picked up, right? Most of the time, most people will walk by the paper, and they'll go, oh, it's so easy, I'll do it in a second or whatever. At that moment, bend down and pick up the paper. At that moment, bend down and pick up the paper and throw it out. At that moment. At that moment. Because what you'll do, and again, you can, I could give you 30 examples of these little type of things that you notice during your day, and I'm not even talking about mitzvah-related things, quote-unquote mitzvah-related things. I'm just talking about life management practical things. If you exert yourself and train yourself to act in that way, when it comes time to, I got to write that email, you will have developed the, the spiritual and emotional and mental muscles to be able to write that email in the moment. You'll see. I'm telling you because I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in my own life. And again, this is an important skill because if you remember, it says Abraham was given this test and he woke up early the next morning. He ran to do it. In other words, that's not just sort of like, oh, that's just part of the story. They're just starting the story from the beginning. It's part no, 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 no. If he hadn't woken up early to do it, it wouldn't have ended with the words Abraham, Abraham. That was all part of the same story of reaching our own potential. So, as, as, as the new year approaches, right, and as we get closer and, 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 and closer to, you know, you see, God's so great, you know, we're so lucky to be given this check-in period on our own lives. That's, what, that's really what's going on here with Elul, with this month of preparation for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. By the way, you know, I mentioned it yesterday, I want to say it again. You know, anyone who's been kind of like learning for a while knows that you have Rosh Hashanah, you have Yom Kippur, but you also have Hoshana Rabbah, right? Hoshana Rabbah, it's like they say it's written on Rosh Hashanah, it's sealed on Yom Kippur, and then the judgment is delivered on Hoshana Rabbah. Then Kabbalistically, they learn out that even till Hanukkah, you, you have. Okay, so, so I want to ask the following, I just want to point out the following thing, which is that all the sages knew that you have till, that Hoshana Rabbah exists, 
And they also understood that Hanukkah exists. So why didn't they advertise it? Why didn't they advertise it? I mean, this is sort of like, as you learn more, you realize these are crucial bits of information. Like, I, I need to know this. But why wasn't it more well-known? Why did they say, on Rosh Hashanah it's written, and on Yom Kippur it's sealed, and that's the end of the conversation? And that's what most people know. You know why? Because they didn't want to advertise those other things. They intentionally wanted us to get it right, ideally by Rosh Hashanah, but by certainly by Yom Kippur. So they want us to take this structure, these deadlines, if you will, very, very seriously. So I can tell you, just to put it in terms of, uh, on a personal level, in my, in my own life, in my own, in my own profession, you know, the, the ability to get an idea to do a second draft. Like sometimes you hand in a first draft, and, you know, one of the things that I've learned is there's always notes. There will always be notes. In other words, there, notes meaning suggestions and, you know, you know, instructions, how you change this and change that to improve your story. And all right, even if the story is working, that line of dialogue could be better, funnier, clearer, whatever it is. And it's like, you know, there's never not notes. So like when you're a rookie and you start off, you think, ah, I turned in something, I hope there will be no notes. And that, that's just, you're setting yourself for her fall because there are always notes. No matter how good it is, there are always notes. Anyway, you need that ability to do the second draft. So, so the idea is if, you, if we start early, we, we get that chance to, to, to do a real second draft, you know? Like, like, you don't want to be one of those people who on Rosh Hashanah basically is like, okay, now let me start thinking about my life in my year. <laughs> I have to Yom Kippur. What's the problem? <laughs> right. That's what this. That's what this period is for. And 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 now it's sort of like you get to. You get to take some time because, the the little things are big things. That's what. That's one of the things that I think should come out of this talk, is that little things are big things. And that you can leverage little things into big things. You know, I always, I always flash on this example. I was in Israel one time over Shavuos. This was many years ago. And um, Shavuos is, you know, it's obviously the holiday of the receiving of the Torah, but, but the, the people who are not in shul in Israel, it's a big beach day for them. So because they have off work, so they go to the beach. So, so there was, you know, we should never know from it, but there was a terrorist attack planned where these... Terrorists were going to arrive in dinghies on the beach and just like machine gun fire would have been a horrible, 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 terrible, God forbid, massacre. And what happened was they got into the dinghies and they were off like, I don't know what it was, two degrees, three degrees. And instead of landing on this very populated beach, they, their boat skewed and then, you know, if you go off three degrees from a starting point, the longer you go in that direction, the farther you are off course. And they landed in front of a military installation where they were caught. But I always think about that because it was a matter of a couple of degrees. So, so little things, if we can fix the little things, 
we can stop them from extrapolating into big things, right? And, and one of those little things is delaying. Pick up, put up, screw on that toothpaste cap, right? There's a little stain in your sink from where a glob of toothpaste like hardened against the side of the sink. Rub it off right then and there. I'm talking about little things like that, just being conscious of that, because you will build up muscles literally to change your life. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating at all. I'm not exaggerating at all. Um, okay, so let's go deeper. <laughs> so so there's, a, there's a Gomorrah that... Uh, that talks about near-death experiences um, in the Talmud. It's in it's in Gemor uh, Psachim Daf Nun Amid Aleph, which uh, is page 50a, right right at the top of page 50a, and um, it talks about um, one one of the great people of the Talmud, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, had a son, Rav Yosef, and Rav Yosef collapsed, and you know he was like dead basically. And then all of a sudden they wake him up and they realize that he had had a vision of the next world. And they asked him, they said, what, what, what did you see? And he said, I saw a world that was upside down, meaning the next world, the Olamabat. I saw a world that was upside down. The people who are on the bottom here are on the top there. And the people who are on the top here are on the bottom there. So, so I... Many years ago, I learned this, and I, I came up with an explanation. And then I saw years later that Rav Moshe Feinstein actually had said the, the same thing. So, Baruch Hashem. So, I'm going to tell you, in my words, my, my understanding of this Gemara. And it's very much related to what we've been talking about up until now. So, so what does it mean? I'll tell you, let's begin with what, with what it doesn't mean. Okay. So it means the people who are on the bottom here are on the top in heaven. So here's what that doesn't mean. That people who are like lowlifes and liars and thieves and, you know, you know, just don't, don't care about anything, those people are not on the top in heaven. That's, when we say those people who are on the bottom here, that we're not talking about those people. Okay. And when we say the people who are on the top here are on the bottom there, we're not talking about tzaddikim here or on the bottom there. We're, we're not saying that either. Okay, so now that we know what it doesn't mean, let's try to figure out what it does mean. So let me just try to explain it in, in my own words. And, and imagine, you see, what we have to understand is, is that there really is a competition going on in life. But people misunderstand what this competition is. They think it's between you and me, and you know, how much money I have versus how much money you have, or how big my fill in the blank is, house, car, whatever it is, versus yours. You know, like things like this. And, and people don't understand that that's not what the competition is. The competition is not between me and you or you and me. The competition is between you and your own potential. That, that's what the competition is. And again, we started off by saying, when you go out to war, that this world is a battle. And that battle is between you and your own higher self. Okay? Trying to achieve that level, that Abraham, Abraham moment. So now, imagine, you know, it says, interestingly, it does say in the Torah, in a different place, it says, 
that jealousy among scholars increases wisdom. Right? And I remember I, I told that to my wife one time and she said, among scholars. Right? <laughs> meaning, meaning for most people, jealousy is not increasing anything except hatred. <laughs> but if you are legitimately for the sake of heaven and you know that person is for the sake of heaven and he knows something you don't know, you want to know it too. Because it will bring more glory and knowledge to God. Right? Not, not because you want to be better than him. You know, there's a story, someone came up to the Kutzka Rebbe and said, asked him, he said, ask the Kutzka Rebbe, teach me how to really pray. And the Kutzka Rebbe said, no. And he was shocked, he says, no. He goes, yeah, you just want to learn how to pray so that you can be better than the next guy. <laughs> you know? So, really understanding why, why do we want to do the things that we want to do, right? So ultimately, it's got to be in order to reveal God's great name in this world. To make clear the oneness of God in this world. That's, that's got to be our, our biggest motive. Okay, so, so what does this mean that the people on the bottom here are on the top there, and the people who are on the top here are on the bottom there? So I ask you to visualize the following. Imagine that there's a race between two people. And one person, the race that he has, the field in front of him, it's barbed wire, and it's, it's muddy, and it's raining hard, and there are ditches, and someone is shooting live ammunition over their head. Right? That's their, that's their race, race course. The next person has this one long, smooth, paved road on a sunny day <laughs> that just goes on for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles without any cars, any people, just one long, beautiful track. Okay? And the referee stands next to you. He's got one with the barbed wire and the rain and the guns, and the other one with the nice, smooth road. And the referee goes, on your marks, get set, go! And the race is on. Okay, so the one who's got the crazy obstacle course makes it 50 yards, say. The other one makes it 20 miles. So it looks like the, 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 he trounced him. 20 miles versus 50 yards, it's ridiculous. What kind of contest was that? Okay, so who's the person who, who's running the obstacle course with the, with the barbed wire and the ammunition? So imagine this is someone who grows up in life with disabilities. He's got health problems. He's, who, who, who knows? He just, just someone who's not, you know, just not in complete command of his, his facilities, you know? Maybe he had a hard childhood, maybe there was poverty and divorce and neglect and who knows what? He's got learning disabilities, who knows what? And yet, he's trying. He's trying so hard. And they say to him, you made 50 yards? We thought if you got 10 yards, it, we would have been happy if you got 10 yards. You made 50 yards? This is unbelievable. And then to the other guy. Who's the other guy who's running with the smooth track, right, 20 miles? This is a guy, he grew up in a, like a, a wealthy family, good-looking, smart, best schools. They say to him, 20 miles, is that a joke? You were supposed to do 50 miles. 20 miles? You're kidding us, right? 
So that's what it is. That's what it is. This person who ran the 50 yards who I described, probably you'd walk by him in the street. You wouldn't give him a second look if you even noticed that you walked by him at all. And yet this person is trying and working and trying and struggling so hard. That person is one of these people who's on the bottom here and who's on the top there. The other person who's, you know, the fancy guy, right, who's running some company or whatever it is, he's on the top here, but they say, you know how much more you could have done? He's on the bottom up there. So that's what I mean. You have to be very careful. You look at another person and you go, oh man, I'm trouncing that guy. That guy could be trouncing you so badly. Trouncing you like he's left you in the dust. And Hashem is the one who gives us these abilities. Hashem is the one who gives us these tests of our abilities. And Hashem is the one who's judging, it says, to a hair's breadth. That's the, the thickness of a strand of hair. It's pretty small, right? Pretty exact. To a hair's breadth. And it's even more exact than that. They're just giving us an image just to understand. The exactitude that we need to do. So this changes the discussion a little bit. And we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up with this. This changes the discussion a little bit. Because for me, when I hear that extra piece, it lights a fire under me. And it tells me that it's sort of like, you know, up until now we've been saying, you know what? It's nice to achieve your potential. And here's how to do it. And wouldn't it be great? But I'm going to be living with the consequences of how well I did. Forever. And you know what? I need to get it right. I don't know about you guys, but I know I need to get it right. So that I can live with myself. To know that I tried as hard as I could try. I just maybe end with this because I can't do this all the time and, and don't think that I do, but every once in a while I do it. And, and when I do it, I always feel like something has just happened. Which is, it's not so easy to get out of bed in, this, in the morning. Sometimes it's, it's better than others. Remember, it says on the first page of the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, that you have to wake out of bed like a lion. This is on the first page of the Code of Jewish Law. Right? It's not so easy to do, by the way. Maybe for some people it's easy. Not, not for me. So, the other day I'm lying in bed, and, and I know I have to get up, and uh, I say, okay, you, ha you have to get up, you know, you know, and then, and then I thought to myself, no, David, you're, you're commanded to get up. Do it because you're commanded. And then I got up. And it was, it was something, it was something else. Now for some questions and answers. I, I really want to value this Elul yeah. period yeah. and maximize it. Yeah. And I'm wondering, 
what it looks like. What is, how do you get practical, what are you doing practically on a day-by-day -day basis during Elul yeah. in preparation? So, so um, I'll give you a small example. Well, let me just give you the headline first, which is, you know, the cash torrent. I'm sure you know it, but if you know this, then you have the answer to your own question, which is the the Torah that, that Reb Shlomo said in the name of the Ishvitzer Rebbe, that Elul is for fixing, you have to fix what you're doing right. So that's a little counterintuitive. Normally speaking, when you hear the word fixing, you want to fix what you're doing wrong. What does it mean to fix what you're doing right? It means that thing that you're already doing, are you doing it with all of your heart? So Elul is about starting with the things that you're already doing, but doing them with all of your heart. And I know just to give you one small example, I'm trying to do this. For years and years and years and years, I rushed through Elenu, and, and that's the closing prayer for all the services. And I'm, I know for a fact that I'm missing whole phrases and everything like that, because I'm just zipping through. And what I'm what, I, what hit me the other day and what I've been trying to do is read I put my finger on the words to make sure that I'm not skipping words but I know that I can't read it slowly because I'm so conditioned to zip through it so what, I, I, what I've been trying and it's been working is to just go phrase by phrase I'll just read quickly to the comma and then I'll stop and then I'll read quickly to the next comma and then, and then I stop again and it's allowed me to actually read Elena. And I found that it's taking me five times longer to read Elena. It's like, I used to be the first one done doing Elena every time. And I realized, well, that's because you're saying every ninth word, probably. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, now it's sort of like... So, you know, you'll, you'll figure out little things. But if you use this as your guiding principle let me do whatever I'm doing with all of my heart, you will find things that you're kind of just tossing off that you can revisit and you'll be able to answer your own question and figure out a way to do what you're already doing more beautifully. There seems to be a very strong correlation between uh, action, taking action quickly, yeah. with alacrity, and yeah. clarity. Um, yeah. And I feel like, at yes. least for me, when there's lack of clarity, that's when right. the gray zone, I want to get a little bit of ice cream, da da da, and yeah. wait, and resistance, right. and blah blah. So, um, what's, a, what's a tool, what's one of the greatest tools that you recommend in really developing clarity? Well, that's, that, that's what I'm saying. You, you begin with clarity. So, you have to already have clarity. So, so, in other words, you're asking two questions. One is, how can I do it quickly? So, I'm saying, once you have clarity, then you have to do it right away. So are you asking, how can I get clarity? Yes, how, yeah, no, yeah. How, do you, how do you develop more clarity? Yeah. Okay. Partic particularly with right. stuff that maybe you have been right. trying to wrestle with and right. figure out, like you know, career transitions, that kind right. of stuff. You know? Right, so, so the thing is, is that you, know, you, you have to discuss it with some people who you respect. And then at a certain point, you have to pull the trigger, and you have to try something. Right? Because I heard Rabbi Green say one time, if every person waited till they were 100% certain that this was the right move, no one would do anything ever in their entire life. <laughs> it's, 
it's a bit of an illusion that, that people reach a point where they fully, fully, fully know. And it's, you know, at a certain point you got to go, you know what, I got to keep moving. You know what, here are the choices. I think this is the best choice. Again, not impetuousness. Not impetuousness, but forward movement. Okay? Those two things can exist together. Okay? So it's, you say, these are the choices. This is the best of the worst. Right? A lot of times you're not going to get like, oh, you know, you know, this is, the new Maserati, you know, is really excellent, but the new Ferrari isn't bad either. But maybe I want something a little more stately, like the new Rolls. Very few people have those options. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's sort of like, am I going to just make it work at Starbucks, or am I going to be a teacher, or am I going to do this? It's sort of like, well, none of those things are CEO. I get that, but it's sort of like sometimes, you know, sometimes what holds a person back is that they think that there's a magical other option. And there isn't necessarily a magical other option. These are the choices. Okay, well, let me be practical and make it work. And then I'll try it for a while, and then I can use that for a, string, a springboard to, for something better. You know? I'll do really well at this, and that will be a springboard for something better. Um, you know, there are all sorts of generational studies. I, I just read something uh, interesting about um, millennials being more unhappy. And, and, they, and they said, whether, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but I'm just telling you what, what I read. But what, what was interesting was, because I know that this, this part of it, I think, is true, or interesting anyway, is that they were saying that um, so many kids were raised with this very super positive, not everyone, unfortunately, but, but many people, you know, with this whole new movement of the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and everything like that, that there, there's a whole generation that was raised with very positive parenting. And, and, and parents telling that the kids, you can do absolutely anything, and this, that, and the other thing. And that it actually kind of warped a certain percentage of people who, who kind of came to think that they actually, that none of the choices that they were being presented, which were real choices that they were being presented in life, we're really in sync with the way they were raised to think about how they should think about their life. And, and that in a very peculiar way, they were actually damaged by that positivity. It's something worth considering. It's something worth considering. So what's the corrective measure for that? Saying, okay, these are the choices. It's not a Maserati versus a Ferrari. But these are the choices, and i got to go on in life. And I'm not defined by that. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, there's so many people who think you are your job and your job is you and that's who you are and that's what you've become and that's nonsense. You know, when you learn the Torah you realize that you are your actions and your actions are relative to your circumstances and that, that the, the smallest person can be the greatest person and bring down the greatest blessings into the whole world. There's a story about a, a, a Rav who's, who's, who had a very slow student. And he had to teach the student a hundred times the lesson before the student got it. And he taught him a hundred times and the student didn't get it. And he taught him another hundred times and the student get it. Four hundred times he taught him this day. 
and the student got it. And it said, a voice went out in heaven. And they said, you can either have long life or blessing for the entire world. And he chose blessing for the entire world. And he said, because God said, because you chose that, I'm also going to give you long life. So, so what's the point? The point is, is that this teacher who's sitting with one student in, I don't know how many people were in the room, doesn't even matter. It certainly was not a celebrity in front of a stadium or with a giant hit movie. It was two people in a room, and under those circumstances, he literally changed the entire world. This is how actually the world works. And we're told every single day with magazine covers and celebrities and this, that, and the other world that that's not how the world works. You have to be famous if you want to make any meaningful contribution. Or you have to be a billionaire if you want to make a meaningful contribution to the world. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. I'm telling you, it's a lie. It's just the level of sincerity and effort and hard work that you put in given your circumstances which God gave you. And that's it. And from that point, you can change the world. We see regular examples of this. And I'll give you another version of this, by the way, which is that when you study history, you see that it was a relationship between two people that decided whether there was peace or war. You think, oh, it's the market forces, and it's the militaries, and it's the assassination. and It all boils down to the relationship between the decision maker and his advisor. And that advisor could be a childhood friend, or it could be whoever it is. And you could be that king, or you could be that advisor. And again, the, the best example of this is Harry Truman and the Jewish person who he used to run a hat store with that went bankrupt. But he had such, Harry Truman had such high regard for this man that he was a man of such integrity. He comes to the White House to appeal to Harry Truman and the United States ends up recognizing the state of Israel, which they weren't going to do. Because of Harry Truman, the President of the United States' relationship with his former business partner, a hat salesman. That's how history is made. Yosef and his brothers, if you want a biblical example, they didn't get along with each other. That's how history is made. 